Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I invite you to open God's Word to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We've been walking through this last letter that Paul wrote to Timothy and then and how it affects us also. I've been preaching a long time. It's interesting what people will say to you after you've preached. Sometimes they don't really think about it when they say it, such as, well, preacher, every sermon you preach is better than the next one. <laughs> I preached a sermon on suffering one time. A lady said, I really appreciate your sermon. I didn't know what suffering was till I heard you preach. <laughs> Someone asked, how do you become a Baptist preacher? The answer is you fill your mouth with marbles and practice speaking. Every day you take out one marble, and when you've lost all your marbles, you're ready to preach. <laughs> We're going to talk about that today. It's unfortunate to me that the um, Masoretes put a break between verse 17 of chapter 3 and verse 1 of chapter 4. You do know that when the original manuscripts were written, there were no chapter numbers and verses, numbers. It was all a letter. And many centuries later, these numbers were added for us so that when we can easily reference verses of the Bible. But the fact that they broke verses 16 and 17 in chapter 3 and verse 1 of chapter 4, a lot of times people will read verse 1 of chapter 4, but they don't realize the word therefore in verse 1 refers back to verses 16 and 17. All of this goes together. All Scripture is God-breathed. And then Paul tells Timothy, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince or, rep or, or reprove. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires... Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul knows that he doesn't have long He's in a Roman prison. He's about to be executed. That's why we call this the last letter. And he's telling a young man before he dies to be faithful in ministry. With that in mind, I really believe this is a mandate not only to a pastor or preacher or teacher, but I think it's a mandate to people also because verse 3 and 4 talk about how you receive a message. But first, let's look at the commission of the messenger in verse 1. I charge you, therefore. 
One of the major themes of 2 Timothy has been faithfulness with God's Word because there are over 36 references, whether directly or indirectly, to God's Word in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.8, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. 2 Timothy 1.13, hold to the standard of sound words. Chapter 2, verse 2, and entrust what you have heard me say in the presence of many others as witnesses to faithful people who will be competent to teach others as well. Chapter 2, verse 15, talks about correctly handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2, 24, describes how the Lord's servant must be apt to teach. In 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is God-breathed. So you get an idea that all through 2 Timothy, God's word is held high. And so Paul gives the commission to Timothy to to, to preach the word. But first of all, I want you to notice, first of all, it's a very serious charge. Verse 1 says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek construction allows it to say, in the presence of God, even Christ Jesus. There's a definite article before God and before Jesus. The God and the Christ Jesus indicating the deity of Jesus. Now, this is a typical courtroom um, document here. I'm not a document, but um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The terminology's courtroom, courtroom terminology because in the day of the New Testament, court documents would say something like, in the presence of honorable judge so-and-so, I charge you. And the biblical mandate was that you had to have two or three witnesses to collaborate all of every detail or to corroborate, I should say, his testimony. And so Paul calls two witnesses, Almighty God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two powerful witnesses. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy, you've been called before God's judicial bench. You've been charged with the oath, the serious task of proclaiming God's word to those who one day will stand in front of God's judicial bench. He also mentions the Savior's coming Epiphania, the appearing, his appearing, and his kingdom. Appearing literally means a shining forth. It was a, a word used by the pagans, the Greeks, when they supposedly would talk about the appearing of one of their gods. He would shine forth. Paul is the only one that uses the word epiphania in the New Testament. One time he uses it, in, in fact, actually in 2 Timothy 1.10, when he talks about the shining forth of the appearing of Jesus Christ in the incarnation when he became one of us. And then in 2 Thessalonians 2.8, he talks about the appearing of Jesus to destroy the Antichrist. And then the other four times that he uses it, it's of Christ, his appearing, taking us, the saints, with him to heaven. Here, 1 Timothy 6.14, 2 Timothy 4.8, and Titus 2.13. This, this word was also used for the appearance of a Roman emperor. And when they knew the emperor was coming to their town or their province, they got things in order. They cleaned up all the trash. The streets were swept. Buildings were scrubbed clean. Paul is saying, the Lord Jesus is coming 
In fact, that the grammatical construction of this verse really speaks of the imminency of Christ's return because the verb before to judge literally means is about to. He's about to judge. It implies the urgency of Christ's coming. First time Jesus came, he came as the suffering Savior. Next time he comes, he will be the sovereign king. And he's going to judge the living and the dead. That pretty much covers everybody, doesn't it? That would be you and me, whether we like it or not. Although as believers in Christ, you and I are not going to face condemnation. You don't have to worry. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But we are going to stand before God, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10, and give an account of the way we've lived our life. You don't have to worry about being cast into hell. You don't have to worry about being that. That's already been settled when you gave your life to Christ. You were immersed in the righteousness of Jesus. However, God going to look at us and say, what did you do with all the stuff and all the life and all the opportunities and talents that I gave you? In other words, you need to take your life seriously. You're not just here wasting time. You're not here taking up space. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 tells us how to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And folks, preaching is important because when a teacher or a preacher expounds the Word of God, you're talking to people who are going to face judgment. And if they're taught wrong, they're not prepared. It means you need to take it seriously. The definite article is, the, is before the word appearing and before the word kingdom, which means two separate events. The appearing, I believe, talks about the rapture of the church. He's going to appear and take us. He's going to snatch the church away. He's going to take us out. Rapturo, we're going to be taken out. I know it's a Latin word. Don't write me. I know all that. I still believe it. I still believe that the snatching away is going to be the church taken out. But then the kingdom is when Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation and sets up his earthly kingdom here on this earth. There's going to be another judgment after a thousand years of those who did not know Jesus. And so... Based on that charge and the fact that Savior is coming, Paul gives the specific command in verse 2 to preach, to preach. Caruso means it's the same word used as a herald, a proclaimer, to proclaim publicly in New Testament times. A herald came from the king or the emperor. He would come and he would express or tell people that the emperor is coming. Sometimes he would express the rules that have changed or the new laws that are now in effect. He was simply free to proclaim what he had been told to proclaim. He was not free to make up his own stuff. The herald did not come and give his own opinion. He faithfully proclaimed the king's message so that the people understood it. In the same manner, we are told to preach the word, not our own opinions. And the phrase, be ready, 
has a sense of being ready and urgent. In order to be ready, you have to study. Believe it or not, when somebody stands to preach, they should have prepared. you got to be ready. It takes time to study. Your teacher, when they teach you Sunday school lessons, they have spent time studying. At least they should have. And if you take preaching seriously, you're going to want somebody who has studied. It's hard work. Please don't minimize that. Don't ever be guilty of saying, hey, preacher, are you busy? Well, I was studying. Oh, well, in that fact, let me talk to you about something. It's like it's no big deal. It's a big deal to be ready. Problem with studying is you get all these creative juices going, and they're all together, and then somebody goes, and he goes, And it's not like when you're a painter, you can come back and pick up the paintbrush and pick up where you left off. you got to put it all back together. It's hard work, and to be ready means not only be prepared, but it means you preach it if it's popular or if it's not, if it's expected or not expected, when it's convenient or inconvenient. You picture a paramedic. A paramedic is not always helping somebody, but they're always ready in case they need to be a first responder somewhere. Well, souls are perishing without Jesus Christ, and we have the message we should always be ready. In other words, don't play at preaching. Don't play at teaching. Don't be off duty. Your life and your walk go hand in hand with it. And I want to tell you something else. This is given very pointedly. A lot of times, you've heard me mention present tense imperative. An imperative is a command. Present tense means continuous action, assuming that you're already doing this and you continue on. But the next four imperatives are aorist imperatives, which means this. There's no assumption that it's going on. doesn't mean it's not, but there's no assumption that it's going on. And it's like a four-fingered knife to the chest. Paul writes it this way, Timothy, Preach the word. That's what he's saying. That's how, that's how emphatic it is. So the charge to preach the word is a very serious charge because eternity is at stake. The next time you're given an opportunity to teach or preach, it's not your job to teach your own ideas or opinions or political views or social reform. Your job is to preach and teach God's Word. So with that imperative, notice the content of the message. Paul wanted Timothy to preach God's Word right after verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3. You may have heard the story about American Indian who attended a church service one Sunday morning, and the preacher's message did not have a lot of real spiritual food in it, so he did a lot of shouting and pounding on the pulpit. You ever been in one of those services? Oh, they're loud, and, but they don't have anything to say. Well, in fact, sometimes some people say, well, he preached up a storm. But after this service, they asked this American Indian who was a Christian, what do you think of the minister's message? He thought for a moment, he summed it up this, word, this way, high wind, 
big thunder, no rain. <laughs> now, we know what that is here. Because how many times did we we'd see some wind and thunder and we just pray for the rain? Only when God's Word is preached are people blessed and refreshed and challenged. Now, with that in mind, I want you to notice the range of a message. Not all messages are the same. Timothy, all through this letter, was taught. He says in verse chapter 2, verse 2, and chapter 3, verse 14, that God's Word had been taught to Timothy. And in chapter 3, verse 15, it makes Timothy wise. In chapter 3, verse 15, it brings people to salvation. Chapter 3, verse 16, God's Word is God, it's, it's God breathed. It's profitable. Chapter 3, verse 16, it's able to bring people to maturity. Chapter 3, verse 17, God's Word is all in there. And when you preach God's Word, there's going to be different ways that it is used, different kinds of messages. First, Paul mentions a message of conviction, reprove. It's a legal term. It means to present your case in such a way that you convince the other side, the opposition, that they are wrong. Present it so logically and so clearly that they're persuaded what Scripture says is right, even if their behavior is wrong. Holy Spirit's job, according to John 16, 8, is to reprove, convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. How does he do that? Well, when you read God's Word, he'll do it. But many, many, many times it's through Spirit-filled preaching of God's Word. Karl Barth, stories told about Karl Barth, I don't agree with a lot of his theology, but, but one of the stories that's told about him I admire. Back in the 1930s, he lived in Germany, back during Hitler's day. He uh, was preaching on John 3.16. And there were many in his German audience that professed to be Christians, but they were going along with the persecution of the Jews. And Barth, Barth was preaching on John 3.16, and he made the point that Jesus was a Jew and that he had died for all the world and that the Jews were part of the world. And thus anyone who loves Christ would not participate in the widespread ill treatment of the Jews. Many people in his congregation walked out in disgust before he even finished the sermon. One wrote a scathing letter denouncing him. He simply replied with a single sentence. It was in the text. It was in the text. Sometimes God's word brings conviction. Sometimes preaching God's word will be a message of confrontation, rebuke. It's the moral aspect of preaching. It says you're sinning against God. You need to repent. Ah, not many people like that part. But it sure is needed in a day where the gospel and the word of God is being watered down in all this feel-good Christianity. 
You've got to make an appeal to the conscience of the hearers. William Barclay said, any teacher whose teaching tends to make men think less of sin is a menace to Christianity and to mankind. People will say all kinds of things. Well, I'm not coming to your church. You're one of those hell, fire, and damnation preachers. No, I'm not. It's God's Word does all the confrontation and the conviction. Yeah, I get passionate about it. I'm not mad. But a lot of times today, people don't like that. I remember over 30 years ago, right after I'd come to Southcrest, <laughs> one of the older men took me after church and he said, preacher, you're going to run everybody off with all that hard preaching. <laughs> I said, what in the world do you mean? He said, well, you know, you just go verse by verse and you don't skip any of the controversial stuff. <laughs> well, first of all, I don't have the right to do that. First of all, and second of all, I didn't say this. I, I wasn't smart enough to say it then. I am now. <laughs> it's... It's not controversial with God. We're the ones that make it controversial. Preaching God's Word should also include a message of comfort or exhortation. It's an appeal to the will and the emotion. It means strongly encouraging someone to right behavior. You keep on keeping on. This is God's promise. Exhortation, encouragement, and comforting. You don't rebuke people who need encouragement. And you don't encourage people who need rebuking. If you encourage somebody who needs rebuking, you're just going to continue to lead them into sin. And if you rebuke somebody who needs encouragement, you're going to discourage them. Someone said the preacher's job is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. <laughs> but you know, only the Holy Spirit can do that. But God's Word, used by the Holy Spirit, does that. Preaching the Word still will be a message of constancy or long-suffering, he uses the word, or sometimes translated patience. Why do you need patience when you preach God's Word? People don't change overnight. In fact, they have to hear it time and time again, sometimes from different passages, different biblical texts. It doesn't mean that you're tolerating open sin, but it does mean that you're bearing with people's weakness and giving them time to grow in the Lord, and the Holy Spirit will change them eventually. But you've got to be long-suffering and patient. It's a message of comprehension, of teaching. And although that's mentioned last in verse 2, you can't have reproving and rebuking and exhortation and long-suffering without teaching. In fact, it's the underlying foundation. An unbeliever will not be convicted of their sin and will not be convinced of the Savior Jesus Christ and salvation through him alone unless you teach them God's Word. And a believer won't be convicted of his sin and brought to repentance and restoration apart from the work of God's Word in his heart. Reproving, rebuking, exhortation, long-suffering, teaching. That's all in the range of preaching the Word. But then here's where you come into play. I know I'm standing here preaching to myself, okay? I understand that. 
At least you could amen it every now and then. <laughs> but now here's where you come into play. Notice the response to the message. I got amused at a little boy who asked his dad, what does the preacher do all week? His father said, well, he's busy. There's a lot of things that go on at the church, a lot of different ministries, visiting people, praying for people. He talks to people who have problems. He, he does a lot of different things. And of course, he's got to spend a lot of time preparing a sermon for the next Sunday because talking in public is hard work. And his son promptly said, well, listening ain't easy either. Verse 3 says, for the time will come when they will not endure an echo. Endure. It's the basic idea of holding up or holding on to, especially in the face of difficulty. It can also be translated tolerate. They will not tolerate it. They become intolerant of the unadulterated word of sound doctrine, it says. And the word sound translates the verb form of a word that we get our word hygiene from in, in the prodigal son. It's used of safe and sound, Luke 15, 27. But he's saying, you teach healthy, sound doctrine and teaching. People aren't going to tolerate it. Now, why would, why would people not cling to God's Word? I know most of you do. I, I know. I'm not, I'm, talking to, I'm not talking to you, but why do most people not cling to sound doctrine? It's because God's Word fails to affirm their life. Did you understand what I just said? People want to hear something that makes them feel good about what they're doing, even though it's in violation of God's Word. And I can assure you, in Lubbock, Texas, in the surrounding areas, you can find a church, if you want to call it that, you can find a place where they will condone whatever it is you're living in, and you know it's a violation, but you can find somebody that will give you what you want. It says they, they're, not, they're not content with just one. They're going to go heap up or amass accumulate lots of teachers. I call them licentious litigators, and they want a legion of them. Because it's so common today, finding somebody that will faithfully preach God's Word may be difficult to find. Amos described Israel that way. Amos 8.11, he said, People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north around to the east. They will wander about looking for a revelation from the Lord, but they will not find any. Faithful preaching, faithful expounding of God's Word is so needed today because we live in a spiritually anemic world and they need to hear the truth. One pastor asked a Sunday school class, what, they, what do you do with the commands of God in the Bible? One little lady said, well, I underline them in blue. Well, good, but that's not the point. You need to live out the commands of God, not just underline them in the Bible. And the word sound is in contrast 
to what people like, and it must be endured. I know sometimes, and some of you look like it today, you're just enduring this. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Now, i got to be real careful here. I'm not being critical of anybody, okay? So don't read into what I'm about to say, but let me ask you something. Around this part of the world, would you rather have chicken fried steak or broccoli? <laughs> that was a dumb question, wasn't it? Except for a few of you who like broccoli and eat healthily. There's nothing wrong, and so I'm not knocking eating healthily. But most of the time, people like me who are trying to eat healthy doesn't taste very good. <laughs> In fact, I've almost got the idea if it tastes good, you can't have it. <laughs> don't come to me with recipes. I'm not a cook. Don't, don't. Oh, you got to try this. It all tastes like cardboard. But what I'm saying is, if I'm trying to lose weight, and I don't, I've been trying it for 67 years, but the fact is, I endure health food. Wouldn't it be nice if God had made ice cream healthy and broccoli not healthy? Here's my point in all of this. Sometimes, hearing God's truth... You have to endure it, even though it's not comfortable, even though you don't necessarily like it. I'd a lot rather give you ice cream on Sunday morning than I would broccoli. It's kind of like the, the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7 when they covered their ears when Stephen was speaking and, and, and preaching. They didn't want to hear any more. Then they drug him out and stoned him. There's coming a day, in fact, we're living in the day when people won't tolerate it. They won't endure sound doctrine. In fact, the word turned aside, they will turn aside their ears or turn away their ears. Verse 4, it means to pull out of joint. It, they will disjoint themselves to hear fables, to hear what man makes up, to make you feel good. I got to confess to you, I, I can relate to this story. There was a lawyer and a doctor and a preacher that all went deer hunting together. They all rode the same truck. When they got out of the truck, got their rifles out and got them loaded, a big buck ran by. All three of them shot at the same time. That buck went down. Problem was, there was only one bullet hole in it. Now they couldn't decide who killed it and who needed to tag it. So they took it to the game warden and said, all three of us shot, but we don't know who killed it. He said, let me look at it. He observed it for a few minutes, and he said, I know who killed it. The preacher did. The doctor and lawyer said, how do you know that? And he said, well, look at the wound. It went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> I, I, I got to confess to you, I feel like that a lot. Then Paul, he said, Timothy, you're not going to preach the word, but there's got to be a commitment to that ministry. Verse 5, keep on keeping on no matter how hard it gets. 
And he said, in order to do that, you're going to have to do several things. First of all, he said, you've got to be watchful. You've got to be sober. Keep your head be free of intoxicants is actually what the word means. When everyone else is spiritually intoxicated with false doctrine and sin, you keep your head. Don't follow the latest trend. Don't follow what's popular. Stay with God's Word. Be aware of false doctrine. Don't lose your spiritual equilibrium. You Don't be swallowed up by discouragement and pessimism and anger. Keep your head. Be sober. He also said you need to be strong. Endure afflictions. Literally means to suffer evil. I want to tell you, serving God, no matter what profession you're in, serving God's not easy in the world. Because the enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil are always striving to destroy you. Preaching the truth in a time when people reject it and turn to fables is going to bring hardship. He told Timothy in chapter 2, you endure hardship as a soldier of Jesus Christ. He's saying it again right here. You need to endure afflictions. If you preach God's word, you're going to catch flack. Harry Ironside said that he sometimes received letters from people and invariably they were people he didn't know personally who would say, I resent your personal attack on me last Sunday. I don't like your preaching and I don't think you had any right to expose me the way you did. I don't know who's been talking to you about me. And invariably they closed by saying, and it's not true. He, he, he then responded by quoting, if you throw a stone into a pack of dogs and one of them yelps, you know who got hit. <laughs> he says, be sharing, do the work of an evangelist. He didn't call Timothy an evangelist. He said, do the work of an evangelist. In other words, proclaiming the gospel of salvation was an important part, but that's not all of it. But confront the lost. Tell people about salvation. Tell people the gospel. You know, I, I try to at least mention it every week. And the reason I do is I don't assume everybody here is a believer. Besides that, with people watching online now, I know everybody's not a believer. But you share the gospel, but it shouldn't bother you when people share the gospel. He said, Timothy, don't get sidetracked by critics in the church, but keep preaching the gospel. Keep preaching to the lost. The enemy wants us to get sidetracked, to never mention the gospel. And it is a shame, and not only it ought to be a crime, when people stand up and proclaim God's word and never mention Jesus saves. And finally, Paul says, Fulfill your ministry. Be steadfast. The word fulfill means to bring to completion. Next week, you're going to see Paul said, I was able, I, I've, com I've competed well. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. But he said, Timothy, there are going to be times when you want to quit. Fear. Persecution. Loneliness. I will tell you that a pastor, I, I speak for a lot of pastors and preachers, and there's a lot of retired pastors in here, but I can tell you being a pastor is a lonely profession. What are you talking about? You've got 3,000 people on your Sunday. You know who I am. 
and I know who a lot of you are, but pastor doesn't have very many friends, acquaintances mainly. I'm not complaining. It's just part of the job. Everybody thinks the preacher's going to tell God on them if he's around them too much. <laughs> A lack of appreciation, criticism, depression, exhaustion. Paul said, Timothy, don't bail out just because you have opposition. You're going to have it. Don't quit. Fulfill your calling as a preacher of God's truth. Follow me in fighting the good fight so that you will finish the course. He's going to share in verse 7. The Bible is so full of what God wants us to do. It's not a big rule book to destroy your joy. It's not, it's not a rule book to make life as inconvenient for you as it can possibly be. Legalism does that. There's joy in the Lord, and Jesus said, when you know the truth, it sets you free. You don't have to earn your salvation. You enjoy living the salvation that God's given you. You chill out. You relax. You enjoy being God's child. You're not walking a tightrope. Oh, man, if I don't stay on this dude, God's going to kick me out. But you also got to know what sin is and the forgiveness that's available and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And today, if you don't know Jesus, today's your day. <laughs> today's your day. You don't have to join Southcrest. You're going to want to, but you don't have to. I'm teasing. Seriously, I want you to go where the Holy Spirit leads you to go. That's the only place I want you to go. There's, it's not a competition. It's about the kingdom of God. But if you don't know Jesus, trust me on this. Trust God's word. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you've not... I'm not talking about believing in it. I'm talking about trusting him. Just the same kind of commitment that you make to your fiance on your wedding day. I give you my life. Now, it's better with Jesus because he comes into your life. But you make a commitment of your life to Christ. You step over the line. You say, Lord, here I am. And when that happens, you're not ashamed to let people know. That's what baptism is. Would you bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.